Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. Well, we're happy to be back in the studio. It's been a couple of weeks. We were really busy with uh, the annual meeting and uh, getting ready for that. And then everything that's happened after that is all around sort of what I've been learning in the yeah. last few weeks. There's been some uh, dramatic, it's that time of year when I really start to look at everything and, and decide what we need to prepare for for the next year. So um, this last few uh, weeks, I've been lur- looking for what lessons I need to be learning. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Today. Yeah. And the annual meeting was awesome. Um, it was kind of like everything we do. It's you play catch up till the end and then it's like, Oh no, nobody's going to show up. Then all of a sudden everybody shows up the, <laughs> the part of it. Um, but no, it, it was, it was really good. Um, I think we got a lot out of it, had excellent speakers, um, and wonderful sponsors and the UCCS cybersecurity center was awesome. Our national cybersecurity center. Yeah. Um, you know, we got, everybody got to go on a tour if they wanted to, um, check out some of the cool stuff they got going on there. And yeah, overall it was a success, I think. Oh, I thought it was a huge success and everybody seemed to feel the same way. Even though we didn't have the numbers that we normally have, the venue was unique. The agenda was just off the charts and we were really, really pleased. And, and we had some really, really great sponsors and all that. And Brian will uh, give a shout out to those in just a little bit. Um, and at the end of the show, I'm going to pose a question to you as our listeners. Uh, there's a lot of decisions that we're needing to make um, that Brian and I are making right now and that we're making um as part of committees or whatever on the whole. So I'm going to pose some questions to you because I frankly need your advice on some of the things that we're that we're working on so and my sh- my chair is shrinking right now for anybody watching <laughs> it's just slowly going down but no i i think uh, you know with the annual meeting just to go through who kind of made it possible you know obviously uccs as we said they were gracious hosts and sponsors both for the the meeting portion and the um the, what do you call it? The reception afterwards. Um, and then XL energy was our, our main sponsor. So thank you, XL. And on top of that, we had CU, IBEW, Black Hills Energy, Pinnacle Workers Comp Insurance, Connect for Health Colorado, Comcast, NBC Universal, Munch Government Relations, AT&T, Project EOS, and Adam Frisch for Con- for Congress. So they, they were all wonderful sponsors and they got to show off what they're doing and how they're improving the community and, and their, their fun projects they have upcoming, you know, project EOS was a good one. Cause that's the carbon capture people that partnered with, um, department of energy, uh, school of mines, and they're doing a study in Pueblo three year study and they'll come on the show and talk more about yeah. that. No, these guys are really great. And it's, it's really interesting and a lot of things that we didn't know about. Uh, one of my favorites, of course, was Adam Frisch yep. and the presentation that he gave. It was just so, it was so refreshingly honest. Yeah. And, and, and he I was, think it blew our hair back. And he was, um, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization and he was very straight to the point. So there was no, 
politicking going on during it. You know, right. even he, he said there were a few questions asked of him and he's like, I'm not here to talk about my campaign, not here to talk about politics. This is just what I'm really researching. And it, it was in the energy field and common sense solutions. And, you know, we'll have him back on the podcast, but it's nothing that you haven't heard already. And if you want to see it, you could go to our YouTube channel or our website. It's on there. And just, you know, if you go to making action happen for YouTube, um, it'll pop up and you could watch it and it's all chaptered so you could go directly to what you want to see in that whole presentation also if you get the action 22 emails it's laid out there the links are laid out there and one of my favorite things honestly about adam frisch is how he honors and respects that we're nonpartisan and that we try to stay nonpartisan and stay focused on the issues the other one that was a big hit the other conversation that was a big hit honestly was yours brian yeah it was about the lack of media coverage for Southern Colorado and kind of a plan to grow that and build a network for information, Uh, you know, similar to what we do now, just on a larger scale and partnering with the communities, you know, local radio, local media, local print media, and even the larger ones, maybe if uh, we we get to that point, but um, to provide that information network specifically going into the legislative session about what's happening, uh, who to contact, you know, what, how this will impact you because we we don't have that coverage anymore and i know during the presentation i kind of bagged on the chieftain a little bit um but it's just the the way of the world right now so they they are severely downsized compared to what they used to be i think in it you know i found they have six employees or six reporters versus you know, over a hundred employees in the past. Um, you know, they're not printing out of Pueblo anymore. Even the journalists that are still there don't have offices. So there's no, what do you call it when like you're at a newspaper and there's like where all the reporters hang out? Is that the the bullpen? The bullpen. So there's like no bullpen for them to really bounce ideas off of each other, I think. And I I get it post COVID everything's online and zoom meetings and all that fun stuff. But it, it, it basically went from the main source of information for Southern Colorado based out of Pueblo to nothing. Um, they, they cover some things, but it's not like it used to be. And when Bob Rawlings owned the chieftain, you know, his biggest push on coverage was water and it wasn't water for Pueblo, although he, you know, dipped his toe in that water a little bit, but it was mostly for the the valley and the ag workers of Southern Colorado and the rural parts. And after he passed away, um, that attention to water really went away. And I think regardless of who owns the chieftain now or, you know, who they would be owned by, um, that was him pushing that, I don't want to say agenda, but that coverage and educating the people about what's happening. And we don't have that anymore. So my presentation was how can we step up and kind of partner with each other to provide that coverage. And again, we're not reporters, but this is the age of new media or, you know, not normal mainstream media. There's a term for it, but um, we're, that was my presentation. How can we do that? How can we provide this network? How can we expand in Southern Colorado? And how can we be a source of information on everything that impacts us down here? So that led to a couple other things. So leading up to the annual meeting, of course, um, I had also uh, committed to 
moderating the mayoral and city council yep. debates. So we did something that uh, that's a little bit for Pueblo. Br- for Pueblo, sorry, yes, Pueblo, I'm sorry. Mayoral. For Pueblo, the mayoral stuff, uh, city council stuff for Pueblo. So we did something that we actually do a lot, but not in a, a really constructed way. So there was a lot of. Um, we kind of just thought about what needs to happen and, and, you know, everybody, including the chieftain, they're restructuring for yeah. a new world. So this was, so 23 has really been the first year that everybody's really truly emerging, I think, from, um, from the pandemic. And so, uh, it's, I think everybody's on a learning curve and just trying to adapt, um, and survive in the adaption. But, uh, the, we asked a lot of questions leading up to that, uh, both on what did we want to talk about at the annual meeting, but also where people sort of were and and what they were most concerned about um, as we were asking what they would, you know, would like to know from a mayor. I think between, um, I I just did a quick little count between who you talked to, uh, who I talked to, who Dwayne talked to, or what we got feedback from or answers between the three of us, there was about 120 plus people that were, that we connected with um, between the three of us. And when I say Dwayne, I mean, Dwayne Nava, who's the, um, the head of uh, the chamber uh, as far as, you know, what people were talking about, what, sort of rang out to me in those discussions and then what the feedback that we got after your presentation Mm -hmm. was that we need to do a better job of not only listening but bringing people in and so that's why we're we're doing some of the things that we're doing so we're we're having a lot more conversations and we're we've gotten out quite a bit since then so um and and you know the chieftain they after the debates they released uh, where does each candidate stand on the issues and their questions were actually pretty similar to the ones that you asked they you know they asked introduce yourself why are you qualified to be mayor which I believe that was one of them um, if elected what would you do on day one yeah they asked what would be your approach for addressing homelessness what role should the city government have they said how would you handle police staffing shortages. Mm. Aside from hiring additional police officers, what would you do to reduce crime in Pueblo, which is kind of at the top of everybody's mind right now? What plan do you have for creating affordable home ownership instead of renting for Puebloans? And this year, the interactions between city council and the mayor have been tense at times. As mayor, how would you work together? And how would you approach improving transportation infrastructure within the city? And what would you do to help the city achieve the goal of 100% renewable energy by 2035? Mm. And... Finally, this is a local ballot one. I mean, this is all local, but do you support ballot measure 2A, which would raise the city's lodging tax to help pay for child care? And that's questions the chieftain asked. And similar to ours, it it was just tougher. They, you know, they have the ability to send those out and get the response or whatever. You know, we had a, you operated, I should say you operated on a time crunch, which is really interesting trying to get nine. Were there nine up there? There were nine up there. Nine people in two hours. Uh, yeah, a little bit. So uh, even a little bit less, we dramatically cut back the time. Otherwise we would have been like two or three hours. So we really had to get, um, as much, uh, as much time for each of the candidates as we can. Um, you know, it was really interesting without fail. Um, and I can't say this about Dwayne, but without fail for you and I, Every single person that we talked to or interacted with, the very first thing that they said to us was about crime yeah. and homelessness. Yeah. That was the number one 
far and away. And then anything else that we asked them or anything else that we kind of had to, we kind of had to feed them like, what else are you worried about? What, you know, yeah, but, the, yeah. but we didn't have to ask about crime and homelessness. No, that was everybody that I spoke with. It's like, what would you ask the mayor? And it's like, what are you doing about crime and homelessness or homelessness or crime? That was number one on everybody's mind. And I think that's, that's really across the board even. And it's, it's kind of a, you know, what excuse, um, shoddy excuse uh, because some of the mayoral candidates say, Hey, there's crimes bad everywhere. It's not just Pueblo, but I think that's a cop out because yeah, you could say crimes bad in Denver or a bigger city or Colorado Springs. But in reality, there's more chance for control to do something about it in Pueblo. We're not a city of a million people or a County of a million. Right. Um, and you know, we're a, we're a municipality that just the Pueblo mayor, because you don't see as much of that. And I, I talked to somebody about that. So when you get outside of Pueblo city, um, you know, Pueblo West, the County, uh, Rye, Colorado city, these areas like the, the crime's not the same or the homelessness is not the same. Um, and they, you know, they're little bubbles and they can control it a little better. But I think that, the mayor and city council in the city, they have an opportunity to do something more impactful with it than say Denver does. Right. I agree. You know, it's, there's a lot of people in Denver and that's tough, but Pueblo, there's not a lot of people. How many people are in the city? Like around 80,000. It's it's close to a hundred thousand, but countywide it's 150,000. So, um, it's less than a hundred thousand in the city. So that's manageable to, to actually do something and see it. And the truth is, is, is we talk about degrees of separation. There's not more than one degree of separation between anybody in Pueblo. So, yeah. So we, we often go, do you know this person? Do you know, like, you'll say that you and I say this to each yeah. other. Do we know this person? Do we know this person? Do you know, we know this person. If we don't know them, then we know somebody who knows them. Did, did, um, anybody, and I didn't really watch the mayor stuff. <laughs> I, I watched well, some you of were, it. You were a well, little I was busy, busy but I, did, I didn't point. go back and watch it. Did anybody provide an actual solution when you talked to them or when they answered? No, it was, it was, I really didn't feel like that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, um, I've got the most feedback on, uh, honestly was cause it came up a lot in our discussions prior to uh, the debate. Um, and and so there was one question about this um, for both the city council and the mayoral um, stuff, and that was about the needle exchange. Yeah, I, that's a hot topic. I mean, it, we've had Epion, we've had we've had Epion, we've had, so we've we've. I, I'm not going to unpack that. Yeah, but it was sort of, um, and and these guys knew what we were, you know, the general idea of what we were going to talk about. But um, there were. There were no solutions except for maybe a little bit of one from Randy Thurston. Um, Heather Graham was really strong on this issue as well, I yeah. thought. Um, and she, of course, she was endorsed by the, the police department. Yes, the police union. Um, and then, and then, uh, Nick Gratishar's answer was that, you know, that he's already doing everything. Yeah. And then, um, I think it was, uh, um, Larry Atencio, who said, well, actually crime is, is going down. So, and, that, and then that's kind of, so I think I, that's, I think reported crime on pe- is going Exactly. Down. That was sort of what I wanted to scream. Yeah. Is it really going down or is the, the, is the reporting going down? Yeah. Because 
all of us know of crimes yeah. that just and, don't get reported. I mean, the, we can I've personally read it, to ourselves. And I've seen it and I've heard it from people that work in law enforcement. They're like, no, it's reported crime that's going down. And the reason to take this outside of Pueblo, since I hate I don't want to just talk about Pueblo with this, but the reason why I think it's important to talk about it with Pueblo is because we can create the model because right. we hear from La Junta, you know, they're dealing with it. Trinidad, Trinidad Marico, Canyon um, City, Canyon City, you know, all these communities that are around Pueblo, you know, we could be the model for that. And it's kind of like tri- it trickles down like, well, this is what's working in Pueblo. And then the other side of it too, you know, we hear about people that are, leaving Pueblo and going to these other communities now. We recently heard of a family member of somebody that we're close to actually moving to Denver because the crime was getting so bad in Pueblo. And I thought that is, that's insane to me that it's like that. And I get, we get that it's it's relative. Like a good neighborhood in Denver. Now, maybe not live downtown, but you right, know, there's right, some, right. some nice areas around Denver where they don't have any problems whatsoever, but they, they also have, you know, gated communities up there, private yeah. security, this type of thing. We don't have any of that in Pueblo. I think we might, we have like gated apartment complexes, but yes. that's the closest thing. And those are security yeah. more than we want to keep the riffraff out. So, um, this, it was, it was just really interesting when we stopped and we spent more time talking to people than we talk, than we were talking to elected officials. I, I learned a lot. It really changed my perception. Um, just having those conversations on, on a lot of things. I mean, maybe not my perception, but really the way, um, our perception of the perception, if that makes any sense, like how we look at these things. Yeah. And, and. In all fairness, like even if crime's going down, the perception is that crime is not going down and homelessness is not going down. And perception is reality, especially when you get into politics and, and elections. Our focus determines our reality. Yep. So I have spent most of my time since the annual meeting outside of Pueblo. Um, so I got to tell you about a couple of really cool things that are, have been bright spots. Um, we went down to, Micah and I went down to Monta Vista. So, um, or Monte as anybody from the Valley mm-hmm. would call it. Um, and uh, got to meet with one of our favorite people, Gigi Dennis. Um, Guillermo Labari from um, AT&T was going down. And you'll remember that we've talked about um, that we were working on uh, broadband through a digital equity lens last year down there. And what one of the things that we really felt strongly about with regard to that project is the digital literacy is um, is one of the big gaps, but also being having access to devices. Yep. Um, was a, a really big gap. So, so most, um, people under the age of 50 are operating a, a lot on their phones if they don't have devices. Um, but, uh, just having a laptop can make a huge difference for, mm-hmm. for people. So we, um, and during that project last year, we gave out, uh, 200, um, devices, um, as a gift from AT&T. Um, but after we were done with that project, uh, AT&T had made a strong and Guillermo had made a really strong um, connection and commitment to Monta Vista and to Gigi Dennis and some of the projects down there. So we went over to the Monta Vista um, Alternative High School, which is a really well thought out program. Mm -hmm. It wasn't separate 
from the rest of there. It was on the same campus as their school, and they have a K through 12 campus there. And it was really designed for alternative learners um, that had just not thrived and and mm-hmm. had tried everything else. And it's a beautiful um, the it, the old. It was a high school you know, several decades back, and then it was administrative building, and now it's for this alternative high school. Um, and they just do a really, really great job. And they have a, a, a pretty impressive um, graduation rate out of the um, of that school. Most of their kids that go into that, or most of their students that go into that, um, I think they're, it was around 70% graduation wow. rate for an alternative school. Um, so we were really impressed with them and the superintendent and, and all of them down there. So they gave out a bunch of laptops there. The other thing that was a need that was a, a passion project of Gigi Genis was to have an after-school program mm-hmm. called the Monta Vista Kid Connections. And AT&T gave them a, a very generous gift um, to help them keep their doors open and do the things that they needed to do um, of $35,000. What's really great about AT&T's gifts is they say, here's what the gift, what do you need? This is what we can give you. Yep. And then they don't have any strings attached. Yeah. Um, and they don't say, well, th- you have to use it, da, 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 like laptops, you give them to who you think needs and there are no strings yeah. attached. The money, you do what you need to do. That was really cool. Um, in the meantime, I had been asked to uh, sit on the steering committee or the search committee for the new chancellor of UCCS, which I was deeply, um, Todd Salomon texted me late on a Sunday, which I knew that he was really trying to work hard on that. I was deeply uh, honored to be able to sit on that committee. But um, one of the reasons that this is so important right now is higher ed in our region um, is in a very uh, transitional place right now. Yes. There's been, so right now what we're talking about in about a, a, a 12 to 18 month period is that we have a remarkable turnover on the leadership, the president's chancellors and so forth. So we have a new, a new chancellor, a new president, Lamar Community College, new president at, um, Otero Community College, uh, Patty Orjavik announced that she'd be leaving PCC in May. We have a new president at Adam State. We have a new president at, they'll be announcing within the next week or so who the new president of CSUP is. Of course, there's a new, a relatively new president of CSU. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Salomon's been in there for a couple of years, but he's relatively new. They're going to have a new chancellor at UCCS, a new chancellor of um, CU Boulder. And Todd Salomon was telling me the other day that there's a new president at Western State. Yeah. Um, that is uh, incredible turnover. Um, so there's the landscape of higher ed is, is really in a very sort of um, – I don't want to say growth, but adaption phase mm-hmm. right this minute, um, really questioning the where's, the why's, the how's. Uh, and so I learned a ton there. Um, and, and I have to tell you, it was, um, they, it's last I heard, it's, it was a little, it was a yeah. little intimidating. I, I was a little starstruck, honestly, by some of the candidates, um, the incredible caliber of, of what, um, got brought in. I have to tell you, and, and I can't tell you any more than this. Um, there were a total of 93 candidates or 93 applications all told that this search committee of, of I think 16 or so, um, had to whittle down to a very short list to give to Todd. 
I was exhausted. Yeah, it is exhausting. I, I got a migraine the last night and and, uh, and stayed an extra night there up there just so I wouldn't have to drive. But before I did this, I've got to tell you one more thing. And this is all, this is not all that we've done, but this is one of the other things, highlights that um, I did uh, in the last, in the last couple of weeks since the annual meeting, um, Lockheed Martin. Um, so of course our favorite space cowboy, Chad Vorthman, um, set up a tour for the friends and family of the Colorado Farm Bureau at Lockheed Martin. And I got to do that this last week. Um, holy cow. I had no, I, I didn't know it. I didn't know. Um, and everybody sort of knows the mystique and the impressiveness of Lockheed Martin, but I, I really didn't know or understand. So um, Chad is really on a mission to very much share mm-hmm. what he can of what's going on there. And it's, it's much more than much, much more than you think. Um, the, and of course the other thing that we're having a lot of conversations about right now is all around energy. So we're talking about broadband a lot, but we're talking about energy. And of course I'm on the, um, I'm the vice chair for Colorado's for energy access, um, which is, is really trying to help, uh, advocate for this, this gap, this transition period that we're going through, which is very difficult. But I'm also, of course, on the committee to give a recommendation for what should happen with Comanche three in Pueblo. That's a big one. That's uh, on everybody's mind right now, whether you are pro 100% renewable energy or you want to dig coal mines. It's the number one issue in Pueblo. It's a funding issue. It's a tax issue. It's an energy issue, which, you know, it's kind of funny. And I, I, had to explain this to a few people, you know, I was like, why do we care? Like we don't get power from here. You know, they don't yeah. power Pueblo. They do Evraz. And I always have to remind people like, no, their biggest customer is Evraz, which employs a lot of people here in town. But, um, you have to explain the dynamic of why power is generated in certain areas and sent to other ones. But it, it's not, it's not necessarily an affordable energy issue. Like it's not, our rates aren't set from Comanche right now. They are roundaboutly, but you know, the energy that what replaces Comanche does not impact really the energy in Pueblo, the energy usage, but what it does impact is schools and budgets and tax base and, and this sort of thing. And that's where, you know, this discussion is very important. And I don't think the average person here or in the region understands that dynamic. They, they don't, and, and I, I think it goes back to, in part, um, that uh, um, the media desert that we, that yes. we keep running into. Um, so you do this for your mom's friends, and I do this for my mom's friends, because they always, they always want to ask us, um, they don't quite understand the, a ballot, or they don't yes. quite understand what you know, some of the nuances, and elections matter. And I've been saying it for the last couple months, but... Um, elections really matter right now what the decisions that are made on every level from uh, the voter all the way up um, in the next 14 months will determine really genuinely determine what um, what our our region our communities our region our state and our country will look like for the next 20 years. That's just my opinion um, because we're right. So when you think about this sort of nexus that we're at with, with education, with energy, with um, 
economic development with um, really our place in the world, uh, broadband, I don't know, what else are we talking about? Water, all these things that we're yeah. talking about, all those decisions, we're, we're at the final, we're in the final minutes for making decisions that are really going to make the difference. And, and we get to decide how, what that's going to look like. And, and so um, we have discussions um, with the, uh, you know, with our mom's friends, you know, they ask yeah. us, tell us about this or that, or they'll, they'll ask us about, um, help me understand this. And, and so we'll, you know, around election time, we sit down with our mom's friends and we tell them these things. Yeah. What struck me, uh, I had this conversation, um, yesterday at a, a lovely woman's house by the name of Joy Morastica. And, um, she looked at me and, and she's very well read and she's, you know, she's been on this earth for 92 years and she really tries to keep on top of, of everything. And, and what she, she looked at me and she just said, I had no idea what I didn't know. And they were all, all of them were like, you've got to, you've got to tell us more. You've got to do this more where you're having these conversations more, but they really, it's really hard. It is, which kind of goes into two of the propositions that are on the ballot right mm. now, um, you know, prop I, I, it's, I think action 22 was neutral. We, on were, we neutral were neutral on this. And that was just cause nobody responded. But honestly, yeah. I've been telling everybody like, look, basically they said, Hey, we're going to tax nicotine and tobacco products to pay for, um, it's preschool, right? Early yeah. childhood development, early childhood development, yeah, early childhood development, but they have to put a number on it. So we, pro- you know, project that that'll be about $12 million or whatever the number was. Well, turns out a lot of people like tobacco in Colorado and Still, it was something, yeah. you know, it was something like $37 million. So what prop II does is they have to have the voters approval to use that surplus money. More money was generated on the taxes to send it to the early childhood development. Now, if they don't, they have to send it back to the tobacco companies. It's not going back to the citizens of Colorado it, yeah, or anything so like that. Yeah, so I think that's the part that I don't that we all sort of miss. So, Michael yeah. Cook, where we did Action Twenty Two, did take a neutral position, and it was just because nobody was really knew what to say yeah. about it. And, and but that's really that's it, a big it's, deal. I, you know, I say like you should vote yes on that. Like prop, I, I like please vote yes on that because that's a chunk of change that'll go to children. And if it doesn't go to them, then it's, it's going to go back to the tobacco company. Uh, in fact, we had on our annual meeting, you could go and see that part of it too. We didn't have anybody show up in opposition. It was basically, um, uh, Michael, like just getting up there and saying, this is why we support it. And this is why you should support it. Nobody opposed it. And there wasn't even any questions on it, Yeah. <laughs> but then we get to the prop HH, which oh, action yeah. 22 is opposed to adamantly opposed to, but we have for- to, let me tell you, let me set this up a little bit and then you can go into the, all the wise brand, but, um, we were, it was really important to us because of course being nonpartisan is really important and if, and this has turned into another, mm-hmm. Um, very partisan issue. Uh, so what we did is we invited um, we invited um, opposition and proponents to come and present at our annual meeting. We told them that we would um, that we would uh, share that, but that action twenty two board would not take a position until after that discussion yeah. happened. So this was a very fair you you talk about it. And, and the board um, adamantly opposed it. And we had one person that I was kind of surprised that came and said um, that they 
they actually supported it. Only one of our board members actually yeah. supported it. And then he called me back later and said, I did not read the whole thing. That was my yes. bad. He wasn't at the annual meeting. He didn't read the whole thing. He said, I want to change my vote. I now adamantly oppose Yeah, HH. and I think there was one or two that didn't take a stance on it just because their organization hadn't gone through it yet. So they couldn't like, yeah, they didn't want to misrepresent the organization. Um, but yeah, we're opposed to, it. and you could see that debate or presentation, whatever you want to call it on again, on our YouTube, just making action happen. And it's marked there. So you could jump directly to it. Um, but multiple reasons why we're opposed to it. You know, I think the biggest one is, you know, this is a, and I'm, this is verbatim from what Sarah sent out, you know, this is a tremendous policy shift. One, which should have been carefully considered with the robust stakeholder process. Instead, it was introduced in the final minutes, literally of the session. So that was the biggest one. Um, they were voting on that and we had Senator Kirk Meyer and representative Puglisi, up there, and they were like, "We didn't even get a chance to read this before we voted on it because it was in the last twenty-four hours, wasn't it?" It was in the last hour and a half. Yeah, of I, session. so it was like the last hour and a half of session, and it was interesting because everybody was distracted on the fight of the land use thing, and they're like, "Well, there you go." Like, so yeah, well, like everybody literally, was, everybody was like up in arms over two thirteen. Uh, yes, and then they just snuck it in right after that. So, so it has to be introduced on one floor. This is how the bills work. It has to be introduced on one floor, then it has to go to committee, then it has to be introduced on the next floor. If there's no changes, then it goes back, it's fine. Yeah. If there's some changes on the second floor or there, it doesn't get out of the committee or there's amendments or whatever, so it has to go through that process. So there's there's normally a really um, f- uh, really strict, here's what it is, but it it was introduced on, w- on one floor in mm-hmm. committee and... Um, back at the other on the other floor and out with minutes on the clock. Yeah. And I mean, this is a long list. And again, you can find this on our website. Even if you go to the blog section, this is up there. Um, But I I think that's the one that bothered a lot of people the most was that it was just thrown out there right at the last minute and kind of rushed through. And then on the flip side of it, prop, is it 50 or 55? Um, I think it's 50 just got approved to be on the ballot next year which changes everything again with property tax. It does. So Wednesday, um, Wednesday afternoon, the Republicans asked the governor for a special session. Um, and so I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to say that's what happened. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that that, that the governor will, um, uh, acquiesce to that request. Um, but I think, um, it's, that's an important part to note. And our, a lot of our county and city managers and commissioners, you know, they have a lot of concerns with this. Uh, and this is the rural part of the state. I don't know how Denver, even El Paso, well, El Paso County is against it, right? The county commissioners. Yeah, this was, that was sort of the thing I think that, uh, a lot of, and when you read, um, some of the articles and stuff, uh, Marianne Goodland put out a really good article, um, and that sort of unpacks several things. But one of the things that um, the qu- the lingering questions, uh, why so many of the um, local governments and the municipalities and, and counties have adamantly opposed this when on the surface it looks like it would help them? Yes. But that's why? The that, that's that the brought. question that I, I, I wish somebody would pose and then really um, be brave enough to answer. Well, and part of it, too, I, and from some of them that I've talked to, they said it's just they're going to have to hire more people and they're on a shoestring budget where they're cutting hours or 
understaffed because they can't pay them. And if this passes like that alone with it, get rid of all the everything else in it, get rid of the details, how it's going to work. Cause that's another issue we were talking about budgeting. It's like, we don't know how to budget out next year, but the, the big one I think, and you hear it and with anything that changes a statute or compliance issues, it's a burden on the business or the local government where they're going to have to hire more people and they're barely breaking even on their budget if breaking even at all. So right. how can they afford to bring in two more employees or three more employees just to and, process this? And they have to, they, they, um, they so have th- to get permission yeah. to finance anything. So, so yeah. counties and, and municipalities have to get permission from the voters to finance anything. So that's part of it. And the, and you can't get financing for, um, general operations. So that's why that's difficult. The other one was that, that there was a bill that was passed this last session that would give the powers to the counties to do what HH would do. And then the counties could then themselves decide if that was, that was something that was feasible for them and that or, was Senate or to, bill and to what degree. Yeah, yeah. Senate bill 108. Yeah. That one gives them a little more control on that to provide the relief. Yeah. But, um, the, the, the funny one, and, and they talk about it in the, the debate or whatever the presentation was um, it, it allows that portability of the senior, senior homes, yeah. senior property tax exemption. What is it? Is it the, not it's the a senior, it's a senior veteran property tax exemption. Yes. So, so the, basically if you sell your house or you move, you don't get that exemption right now. It doesn't move with you. You it's have just, to have your house for 10 years before you get that. Yes. But in prop HH, it allows you to do that. But at the same time, there have been multiple bills that were supposed to allow people to do that, and they get voted down. They haven't passed. Yeah. So it's and and what one of the things I didn't list that um, because I really took from what the feedback that we got from our mm-hmm. board that was one of the things. So I didn't put a lot of other um, personal thoughts, but one of my thoughts um, that. I thought was, was very strange about this was, um, not just the stake that there was a lack of stakeholdering on this, which is a growing concern, especially when you're making these, these kinds of dramatic changes. As anybody knows that listens to the show. (laughs) As anybody knows, (laughs) it's, it's a little, it's a little pet peeve of mine. Um, but the other, the other part was the, um, this idea that, we're not supposed to have on ballot measures multiple lines. Yes. And there's a, a really good reason for that. And this was challenged, but it didn't. But it's challenged, but it was ignored. And I yeah. can't understand that. I can't understand what that was. Well, the- I mean, I could I could talk a little bit more about it, but since we're opposed to it officially, you know, I think this is, this is the one going back to that portability exemption. They just did that to make a commercial. It's like, Hey, do you want to move? Do you want your parents to move? Or do you want your veteran to move? Well, now they get that exemption with them. So vote yes on this. And the way it's on the ballot, the blue book actually did a, a, it, the blue book description on the opposition really did some more harm than I, I thought like for the good for the opposition, but harm for prop HH. Cause it straight up says in the blue book that your Tabor is going to go down. And if you listen to the pro, the advocates for it, they're saying, no, your Tabor refund's not going to go down. But in the blue book, it says it is. Um, and I was confused at that because the uh, proponents of it 
said, no, it's not going to decrease your Tabor. In fact, your Tabor is going to go up next year. Yeah. Your Tabor refund is what we're talking about. But in the blue book, it says it's going to go down. So that, I think that's one of the things that really, um, it was sort of a, well, we're going to, you know, one, one modeling idea or one idea was this and one idea was that. The problem was, is that there was no modeling for this. There was no, there was no stakeholding for this. There was and it is a dramatic change, but also there's so many, so many different things that you're trying to decide with one ballot measure. I can't understand and, how that got through. And it, and another concern that that I have not heard anybody ask. They said, you know, this is statute, right? So it changes the color of the statute. Mm-hmm. So once it's in statute, the legislature could go back and change it. Of course, they, so they can adjust it. So and they've and, and they've done that. They've done that on the regular, so right? they could basically strip Tabor. They could say, "Hey, it's not enough money. We got to take all the Tabor." So, and and the way they do, the way they have done that in the past is they say, "Okay, oh, this is clearly what they want." So now we're going to create legislation to sort of plug the holes. And, and the opponents of it say that this is basically just a backdoor way to kill Tabor. And I think there can be a strong argument made for say that. It's not that it's not going to impact Tabor that much. It is going to a little bit, but the blue book says it's going to a little bit more. But if they get to a point when they're saying that we're, we don't have enough money to backfill from Tabor, we could just change it where we can take more Tabor. Correct. And then they could say, we could just take all Tabor. Like in theory, they could be like, all right, we need all the Tabor money to go back to this. And I'm not saying they will, the, but the door's open. Like the they can change open. it without and going to the ballot. Without going to, that's the key yes. right there is without going to the ballot. And so um, it. Now, here's the funny thing, though. So large businesses, they're going to save a ton of money if this passes. Like millions. So that's interesting too, because this is more the Republicans are opposed to it, but large business is either neutral or for it at the same time. And a lot of that kind of crosses over you more of the Republican side of the aisle, you know, working in these larger business industries or people that vote, vote more, I should say conservative. I shouldn't say Republican because it's taxes and regulations, you know, like big business as opposed to higher taxes and more regulations. But on the flip side, Prop HH, it will save some of these corporations like millions over years. Interesting. Um, there's a few, like there's a few that I've heard from and they, they're afraid to say anything about it because in, in their mind they're like, they don't I'm opposed bring, to this. Yeah, they don't want to bring. Right? Like, I'm opposed to this, but if this does pass, like, we're going to save $17 million over five years. <laughs> so I, I guess that's sort of, that sort of brings it back to my point is that um, the intent is to give relief, right? That's yeah. the original intent was to give relief. Um, because everybody's assessments have gone up dramatically. Yes. yes. Um, ours included, yours included, yeah. every single it's person like I know. There's no more a month in my house payment. That's how much it's gone up. Um, I don't. I don't know. I haven't looked yet, but it's it's gonna hurt. Yeah. It's gonna hurt. Um. Well, do you own your house or do you, you're paying a mortgage, right? I'm paying a mortgage. mortgage. So my mortgage payment this year went up. So it went up five hundred dollars. Like my monthly mortgage payment 
increased by five hundred dollars or house payments so that you know property tax and all that yeah. stuff. That's how much that's a out. lot. Yeah. Um, now, mind you, I got my house for a really good price so five years ago. But we did as well, but the assessed value yeah. went up more than what we originally paid for the house. Yes, my assessed value went up more than what I paid for my house. I mean it went up a lot more than what I paid for my house. Yeah. Like it added two hundred thousand dollars in value on my house. Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely need, we all definitely need some relief from that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you say, oh, let's, oh, by the way, this is really big and this is happening. Yeah, we better try to get some relief, but let's do it in the final minutes and let's make really dramatic changes without really actually having a conversation with anybody. And I know, so Mike Beasley, he doesn't think this will pass. I said, I think this will pass. But the more people I talk to about it, I don't think it'll pass. But the way that it's written on the ballot, if it depends on how read in the voters are on this and who's voting because this is an off-year election. But initially looking at it, it's like everybody's hit by this property tax. And the second they see relief from high property taxes, right. I'm going to vote yes on this. They're going to vote yes. And but then in the, the long run, it's going to cost It's going to cost money. them a lot more. The... So either way, so here's what will happen. This again, this is the book of Sarah. What will happen is if it passes, we're going to have to we're going to spend the next couple years trying to figure out how what all the effects are. But if it passes, I guarantee Prop 50 will pass next year. Right. Which completely negates Prop HH but it's still in statute, and then what do they do? So what they'll do is if if it... So Prop 50 is a cap on property tax, right? I think so. Yeah. It's something to do it's with like that. It's like a growth cap on property tax, something like that. I, I, I haven't done a deep it. dive on it yet. But it's going to be on the ballot. That's official. It's this official. Month, it's it's going to be on the ballot. And so that I was I even paused a little bit by sending, uh, in sending out our, um, our uh, position on HH, um, cause I did, I did a lot of homework on that, yeah. but what will happen is if it doesn't pass and with 50 being on the ballot, then you're going to see a whole, a whole block of legislation yeah. this next, this next session that will try to, um, capture components of HH, yes. yeah. which, so, we'll, which we're already going to see with the land use bill anyway, like five are, separate bills. We are, there's going to be a lot of bills. Um, and I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to dive into this yet because we don't know um, what some of that's going to go out. But the other block that we all need to be and that we're bird dogging right now is around um, trying to make some corrections or trying to make some clarifications on broadband. Yep, broadband that's money. another big one. That's another one we were going to watch. So, Coming up, we'll have a guest on next week. I don't know who yet, but we're going to have another somebody else come on so you don't have to listen to us rant and rave. Um, <laughs> but after that... Brian, we, I'd love to listen to oh, you I know. rant and um, After that, it's Veterans Day. So oh, we did, it is. Yeah, we did the, the one arm skydiver for that. And then um, I got to find a veteran for after Veterans Day. And 
you know, it's kind of cool because Veterans Day is on Saturday this year. So the parade's actually on Saturday. Yes. On Veterans Day, usually they do it, you know, like Veterans Day is a day during the week, but they do it on the weekend. So we have a lot of cool stuff in Pueblo. We have a lot of cool stuff in the Valley. Um, Lahana, Colorado Springs is like yes. insane when it comes to Veterans Day stuff. But Get I know, out there. I know in Pueblo, we're going to do the parade in the morning, which um, – I still think it's like one of the largest Veterans Day parades it in the is. state. Um, Avondale did theirs last month. It's coming back. That used to be the second largest one in the state. Uh, and they took a break with COVID and some, unfortunately, some people passed away that used to run that. But after the Veterans Day parade, if you go down to the Veterans Bridge at the Riverwalk, we're doing a whole veteran celebration with speakers. Um, they're going to have food Are and you music. No, I am not speaking this year. This is like the I first time in a I don't while. Want, I'm going to want to. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be fun. So all the veteran service organizations will be out there. And it's just Paul be a good Hendrickson yep. and his um, team have been working really, really hard. And, and CSU on this. Pueblo, CSUP is doing something. American Legion yeah. Post 2. It's veterans. But we'll be, be down there. So we will be down what there. So we, come see Brian. What if we set this up down there and interview people? <gasps> oh, let's do that. Let's do that. So let's, we'll do that. But I have yeah. to tell you one more thing before we sign up yeah. off. Um, I kind of got the, well, what are you going to do for the Halloween? Cause we always do a Halloween one oh. and we didn't do a Halloween one this year. We may have to come back. So on, we could do that next week. We could actually do it on Halloween. So it'll come out so, after Halloween. Which usually comes out right before or right after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's do a Halloween episode. We'll do a ha- Halloween episode right. and then we'll do that. Okay, so here's my question for you before before we sign off. Um, and I really do need your advice because uh, we're, we've been in these discussions. We've been getting a lot of information. I've been doing a lot of research, having a lot of discussions. What do you think is the right, um, the right answer for energy for our region? Um, We've got a lot of opinions, but mm-hmm. really, I need to know what's affecting you and what you exactly think. So email us at email me that answer and put it like this: is one hundred percent renewable energy the number one priority for you? Is it energy affordability? Is that yeah. the priority for you? Is it a, a smooth transition to renewable energy? Like what? When you think energy, you think keeping your lights on in your house warm. What's most important? Is it renewable energy or is it the cost of energy right how much the cost impacts you thank you brian for that so so what matters most to you is it the is it um clean is it um the cost is it somewhere in between because we really do need to understand this better if we're gonna if we're gonna stand up for you um in in a more effective way um chad vorthman i know you're listening so i want to know um, we'd like to have you on sometime soon uh, to talk a little bit about some of the things that, lo- whatever you can talk about, some of the really cool things that Lockheed Martin is doing. It's yep. awesome. I, I'm especially interested in their um, firefighting um, stuff that they're doing. Yes, they do a lot it was, with that. It was really, it was really, really cool. So, and action. Oh, it's that part of it. it Making is. action happen. Action 22 does not support or endorse candidates, but we support our members. So if you're a candidate and a member of Action 22, please come on Making Action Happen and tell us what you're about. Also, the views and opinions on Making Action Happen do not necessarily affect or represent the views and opinions of Action 22, its board, or its members. Thank Except you. for Prop HH. 
<laughs> actually, no. we're against that, and Action 22 is against that. We're, we're against that. But please remember, elections matter. Please ask all the questions until you're satisfied with the answer. But most importantly, please, please, please send that vote, that ballot in and vote. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.